text for this morning's service is taken from Leviticus 18, verses 1 through 5, and the verses 20 through 22. There you find God's word as follows. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as they do in Egypt, where you used to live, and you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you. Do not follow their practices. You must obey my laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord your God. Keep my laws, keep my decrees and laws, for the man who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. And then follow all kinds of prohibitions against various sexual practices, especially incest, etc. And then verse 18 through 22 states Do not have sexual relations with your neighbor's wife and defile yourself with her. Do not give any of your children to be sacrificed to Molech, for you must not profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Do not lie with a man as one lies with a woman. That is detestable. After the sermon, we will sing together from hymn 28, the stanzas 2, 3, 5, and 7. Brothers and sisters, beloved in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, last week the Episcopalian Church, which is the Anglican Church in the United States, voted to make it illegal to discriminate against anyone. This statement is aimed at those who want to be ordained to the priesthood and who were born into one gender and live as another gender and those who do not identify themselves as either male or female. And so now they have gone beyond allowing homosexuals into the priesthood to also allowing transvestites. One concerned commentator stated that this will eventually lead all the way to the acceptance of pedophilia. Others applaud this decision. One says, mainstream Christians don't believe sexual orientation is a sin. Thank God perverted anti-gay bigotry is in such rapid decline in America. In an article on the internet by a Reverend Elaine Sundby and published on the gaychurch.org website, she ridicules those who believe that homosexuality is a sin. She writes that it is ludicrous that people still believe that homosexuality is a sin. According to her, Paul, and I quote her here, Paul warned us repeatedly 
that salvation can only be achieved through Jesus Christ and nothing else. Any attempt on our part to gain our salvation or purify our lives by following, by the following a Levitical list of do's and don'ts is doomed to fail. Worse yet, if we attempt to follow such a list of rules, we are denying the very work that Christ did for us on the cross. So far her quote. In her way of thinking, those laws dealing with prostitution and homosexuality are merely a warning to the Israelites to stay away from the heathen temples and the shrine prostitution that went along with it. She also appends a letter that someone wrote to U.S. radio personality and advice guru, Dr. Laura. In this letter, Dr. Laura is mocked for still wanting to uphold the Old Testament laws. This person writes, thank God for doing so much to educate people regarding God's law. I have learned a great deal from your show, and I try to share that knowledge with as many people as I can. When someone tries to defend the homosexual lifestyle, for example, I simply remind him or her that Leviticus 18 verse 22 clearly states it to be an abomination. End of debate. I do not need some advice. I do need some advice from you, however, regarding some of the specific laws and how to follow them. And then tongue in cheek, she asks the advice on various matters. She asks, I would like to sell my daughter into slavery as sanctioned in Exodus 21 verse 7. In this day and age, what do you think would be a fair price for her? She also asks, I have a neighbor who insists on wording on the, on the Sunday, the Sabbath. In the book of Exodus, verse 35, verse 2, it clearly states he should be put to death. Am I morally obligated to kill him myself? And I know from Leviticus 11, the verses 6 through 18, that touching the skin of a dead pig makes me unclean. But may I still play football if I wear gloves? And so she asks several other sarcastic questions along the same lines. No doubt you have heard others ridicule our beliefs in the same way. The modern media does so in the same manner, as do many of our elected officials on a campaign trail and in the various legislatures in the land. How do we respond to that? Well, they use scripture against us, and so let us examine these things in the light of scripture. I've summarized the message of follows. God demands from us to be holy in our sexual conduct. We will see three things. First of all, we will look at the wretchedness of sin. Secondly, the delight through Christ. And then finally, the comfort of God's grace. When we speak about sin, we always have to go back to the origin of sin, and so to paradise. What was there before there was sin? There was harmony. There was no pain. There was peace. 
there was well-being. There was unity between God and man and between woman and man. And there was this great sense of belonging. And there was a wonderful experience of love. There was nothing lacking. Adam and Eve were not looking for gratification. They already had it. And they had everything necessary for complete contentment. The unity, physical and spiritual, that Adam and Eve had between them was complete. That is the way God created things to be. But if you do not believe that God created all things, and that therefore man is accountable to him, then we have no basis from which to discuss things. If you believe that man evolved somehow from inorganic matter to organic matter, and that the species evolved from simple to complex organisms culminating in human beings, then there is no basis for argumentation. If you believe that man is nothing more than an evolved animal, then you have no difficulty for man living like an animal either, which gives base, which gives into its base desires whenever it is in the mood. Oh sure, they recognize that man is a thinking human being and that therefore he is able to make choices. But to the evolutionist, he ultimately is nothing more than an animal, an advanced animal, mind you. And so as long as you don't do any others any harm, then you should be able to do whatever you like. The assessment of harm, of course, is something very subjective. Because we are fallible human beings, we always do harm. We do harm to ourselves, and we do harm to others. And so those who do not want to have God's norms in the picture determine for themselves which harm is the greatest evil. Most people, however, in one way or the other, do believe in God. They believe that somewhere there is an almighty creator out there. But they don't believe in the God of the Bible in the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament. But they will use the Bible against Bible-believing Christians. They use the Bible to advance their own arguments and quote Bible verses in order to serve their own ends. In so doing, they will quote scripture out of context and make texts of the Bible to say something that they don't really say. The devil himself was very good at that. He tried that tactic with the Lord Jesus when the Lord Jesus himself was tempted in the wilderness. He also quoted scripture. He said to him that the Lord Jesus should not be afraid to throw himself down from the highest point of the temple. For, so he says, it is written in God's word that he will command his angels regarding you and that he will protect you from harm. Indeed, it is true that Psalm 91 says that. But then the Lord Jesus points Satan to another scripture passage to tell him that we may not put the Lord God to the test in any way. 
Satan had a purpose, a certain purpose in mind. He wanted to have the Lord Jesus under his control and thereby to have all creation under his, creole, under his control. He wanted to serve himself. He wanted to usurp God. As if that's even possible. With that purpose in mind, he used scripture. We have to be careful, all of us. It is something which we often can be accused of as well. We want certain things, and then we go to the Bible to find support. We want to justify ourselves. But if you do that, then you do not allow God and his word to speak to you. But instead, then you speak to God's word and have it say back to you what you want it to say. In this way, you pervert God's word and exploit God's word for your own selfish purposes. Why did God put those laws in Leviticus? He makes that quite clear in the first five verses of Leviticus 18. He tells them that they must not do as the Egyptians or those living in the land of Canaan. He tells them not to follow their practices. They have to be different. It is for that very reason that God brought them out of Egypt because they were beginning to act like the Egyptians. What's wrong with the Egyptians? Well, essentially, nothing more than what's wrong with the Israelites themselves. But it is for that very reason that the Lord God called them out of Egypt. He does not want them to be like them. He does not want them to be like the rest of the world. He wants to preserve for himself a people through whom a new, a renewed creation would come about. The Lord God is looking for restoration. He is looking for paradise once again to exist on earth. And he wants to have a people that serve him from the heart. Not because they are compelled, not because they are threatened, but because they want to. That was his aim in paradise. And in spite of the fall into sin, that is still his aim. He wanted Adam and Eve to serve him out of their own free will from the heart. He wanted them to keep the laws, the rules of the covenant relationship of love that he had given them for their own well-being. Adam and Eve refused. And because of that, so did their offspring. Everything has now been spoiled by sin. Man has now become self-serving rather than God-serving. He doesn't want to keep the rules. And he is now also even incapable of keeping them. And for that reason, man and creation have to be restored. Israel had to learn to look forward to the Redeemer. And through his laws, God wanted to create that desire for that Redeemer. 
He wanted them to see the righteousness of all sin, including sexual sin. For you see, the purpose of the law is twofold. In the first place, God's laws were given to his people to give them a taste of what it was like in paradise. And thereby giving them a taste of what it will be like in heaven. And in the second place, he gave the laws to Israel for their protection. We're all like little children who want instant gratification. We want to experience heaven now. And that's why people also use drugs. But we want heaven without our sins being dealt with, especially our own sins. We want to take a shortcut all the time. We don't want to wait for it. Even when we face serious consequences for our actions, we nevertheless will do what we want now, just to get that momentary feeling of well-being. We seek satisfaction at every expense. And so we need to have constraint and discipline. Most people will also recognize that, believer and unbeliever alike. But where do you draw the line? It's not always clear what is harmful and what isn't, is it? By nature, we want to test the limits of our desires of what we can get away with. By nature, we want to be constrained as little as possible. It is for that very reason that God gave us the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words of the Covenant. He gives us the limits of our behavior for our protection. One of those commandments tells us not to commit adultery. It's harmful if you do. It's harmful in your relationship, in your family life, and thereby also especially harmful in your relationship with the Lord your God. Satan wants you to give full vent to your desires. His desire is to have you. His desire is to control you with your own base passions. That is why pornography is such a powerful weapon, powerful tool in his hand. God, however, wants to protect us from harm. As our creator, he knows what is best for us. And therefore, we should not second-guess him. And that is why we should not go outside of the limits of the boundaries that he has set. Unbridled sexual conduct has you in the power of Satan. Those who look for sex for gratification in their lives will always want more and something different every time. They will never be satisfied because the depth of their desire and how to fulfill that hasn't been dealt with. They want to take a shortcut. In Leviticus 18, the Lord God works out the various elements of this commandment for us. 
First, he tells us that we should not commit adultery with a neighbor. And in that chapter, he also becomes more specific. You may not sexually abuse your children. That does great harm. I don't have to tell the victims of sexual abuse about that. What an enormous harm that has done and continues to do to them. By and large, this world also agrees with that. However, nowadays, also those limits are being tested. And the Lord God in this chapter also tells us about incest. And he tells us about sex with animals. Don't do it, he says. All these kinds of things are being practiced in Egypt and we're being practiced by the Canaanites and they're an abomination to me. If you want to give full vent to your sexual desires, then there is no end. If that's how you want to create heaven on earth, you will find hell. And that's why he also mentions the sacrifice of the children to Molech. The name Molech is derived from two different Hebrew words, the one meaning king and the other shame. Someone who gives his children to Molech would be giving them over to temple prostitution. And so the Lord God warns them, don't do it. He sets the limits for them. When you practice these things, you are in the power of Satan. You are in the power of the king of death. He wants you to be enslaved to your physical desires, and thereby he will kill you. He also knows, of course, that we are incapable of keeping his commandments. There is not a person on earth that has ever existed or that will exist without sin against every single one of God's commandments and who does not sin against every single one of God's commandments repeatedly. God knows that. He knows what sinners we are. Why then does he give us his law? Well, brothers and sisters, and that includes you young people, children, don't think of the law of God in judicial terms. God's law does not function as the penal code of Canada does with its intricate legal code. The law of God has to be understood within the covenant framework. It has to be understood within the relationship that God has established with his people. The same relationship that he reminded them of when he gave them the introduction to the ten words of the covenant on Mount Sinai. Namely, that he is the Lord their God who rescued them out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He is the God of love who seeks their well-being. And therefore, the law of God is more instructional than judicial. In other words, the law was given to Israel in order to teach them how to have a life. A life with God 
and a blissful life with God's people. And that is why many Old Testament laws also fail to specify a penalty for many of the violations. It is not about the punishment. It is about the relationship. Time and again in Leviticus 18 and elsewhere in Scripture, the refrain is found that they have to keep his laws because, as he says in verse 1 and in verse 4, I am the Lord. He uses the Hebrew word Yahweh. He uses his covenant name here. With that name, he shows himself to be the God of life. That same God who delivered them from death as they were pursued by the Egyptians. It is the God who gave them life and who therefore also has a right to their life. Yahweh, you know who that is, don't you? It's none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. That is how he is revealed in the New Testament. And you know what the Lord Jesus Christ did, don't you? He rescued you and me from sin, from death. When the Lord Jesus presented himself to Israel as the Messiah, as the Christ, John the Baptist proclaimed, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John 1 verse 29. With this short statement, John summed up the fact that the Lord Jesus was the culmination and consummation of the Old Testament sacrificial system. For hundreds upon hundreds of years, the Israelites had been making their sacrifices in the temple to point to the purification through the blood of the Lamb. All those sacrifices looked forward to the coming of the Lamb, Christ. And now here he is. All those sacrificial laws have now been fulfilled in him. And so have all the other Old Testament laws. That is what the Lord Jesus himself confirmed at the very beginning of his ministry when he said in the Sermon of the Mount in Matthew 5 verse 17 that he came not to abolish the law but to fulfill it. That includes every single law that is written in the book of Leviticus and everywhere else in the Bible. Does that mean that now then those laws no longer have to be kept? Of course not. The Lord Jesus says in that same Sermon of the Mount that we must be perfect as his heavenly Father is perfect. We have to keep the law of God to the minutest detail. He tells us that we must realize that we commit sins that we do not even realize ourselves. We are so sinful. We commit adultery already, for example, when we look lustfully at another woman. And we kill someone even when we have an evil thought about him or her. It is God's way of telling us that we must keep the law perfectly, but also that he knows at the same time that we can only have a very small beginning of the obedience that he requires from us. For with those kinds of requirements, who is without sin? It is not through the law that we have a relationship with God, but it is through the love that we have a relationship with him. 
God showed his love to us in paradise. And after the fall into sin, he wants to maintain a relationship of love. He created us to love and to be loved. And now he shows us his love through his son, Jesus Christ. But now those who spurn God's law want to lecture us about love. Reverend Elaine Sunby, who writes on the GayChurch.org website, reminds Christians of God's great commandment of love, and I quote her, in which we are to love God first and foremost, and love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And of quote, God is the God of love. We have to reciprocate his love. On that point, she is absolutely right. And we truly need to be reminded of that. The Lord Jesus Christ died for whom? For sinners. And he also died for those who sin and who have sinned against the seventh commandment. The Lord Jesus Christ did not come to save the self-righteous, such as the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. No, where did he go? He went to the sexually immoral. He went to the prostitutes. He went to the adulterers. And he said to the woman who was caught in adultery and was about to be stoned, that her sins were forgiven. What a tremendous relief that will have been to that woman, and what a tremendous relief that will have been to all those who came into contact with the Lord Jesus and who felt weighed down by their sinful desires to hear that God loves them nevertheless. Brothers and sisters, there's all there is sometimes also a condemning attitude within our circles. I'm just as guilty as you are. It is human nature to want to look down on others so that you can elevate yourself. It is natural to feel smug about yourself because of your own conduct. And so you think to yourself, I don't have any sexual feelings towards someone from the same sex. I've never had an abortion because of my promiscuous lifestyle. I've never been divorced. I've never received a sexually committed, committed, transmitted disease because of my lifestyle. I have kept myself pure by and large. Look how good I am. Well, it is wonderful that God has protected many of you from these kinds of things and feelings. But there are many in our congregation who have had the experiences I just mentioned. There are those amongst us who are attracted to the same sex. There are those who have fallen into all kinds of horrible sexual practices but they have a hard time talking about it because they don't think that there are people in the church who will understand. They feel condemned. And they want to belong. 
we may never exploit that need for others to belong by treating them with disdain or with lack of understanding. Let's ask ourselves, congregation, how loving are we towards those who have fallen into various kinds of sins? I'm not saying that this is not a loving congregation. It is. And you show that in so many wonderful ways. But we still have so much to learn. We still have such a long way to go. Why do you think the people of the world are so angry with Christians who they feel want to, who want to impose their lifestyle on them? Is it only because they do not want to be constrained? Because they want to do what they want and do not want anyone to stand in their way? Well, that indeed is a very large part of it, but there is another reason. The Christian church can come across as condemning, as, pre as prescriptive, and therefore as legalistic, as if our relationship with God and one another is based on the law and not on love. This week we will have VBS. We will come into contact with people who normally do not go to church, with people who have a wrong idea of what church is all about. They think that church is for people who think that they are better than others. But is that the image that we should portray? Should it not be one of love and acceptance? And all the question you may ask, does that mean then that our conduct doesn't matter? that it doesn't matter what kind of lifestyle you lead. Of course it doesn't mean that. The Lord Jesus indeed sent a woman who was caught in adultery away without condemning her. But what else did he say to her? He also said to her, go now and leave your life of sin. And that is what those who seek support from the Bible for a sexually immoral lifestyle, fail to mention. They say because Christ came to pay for our sins, it doesn't matter anymore. After all, as Paul also says, we cannot be saved through the law. Anyone that tries is doomed to fail. Well, although we sin all the time, that does not mean it is okay to sin. No, we have to repent from our sins daily. Sin does matter also today. And therefore, brothers and sisters, adultery is not only condemned in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament. And so is homosexuality. And Paul, as he does in Romans 1, calls homosexuality a perversion. He speaks about the unbelievers' sinful desires and about their sexually about their sexually impurity and their degradation of their body by exchanging natural relations for natural ones, an abomination. And why does he state to the Thessalonians that they should avoid sexual immorality? Oh, sure, Leviticus 18 does not apply in the same way anymore as it does in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, Israel was God's covenant people. The laws that he gave to them were the laws that he gave to the church, to Israel, 
the church and the state were one and the same. And therefore the state could also carry out the punishment. But now, as Paul says in Romans 13, the sword has been given to the secular state and authorities. In the New Testament times, God wants to gather his church all over the world, out of all kinds of nations and cultures and peoples and clans. Dr. Laura would have a hard time answering the question posed to her about the validity of the Levitical laws for today. That is because as a Jew, she does not see the law in relation to Christ. To her, serving God is about do's and don'ts. But for a Christian, it is something completely different, or at least it should be. It is a matter of grace. Final point. How wonderful that God gives us the free gift of salvation. God is a God of love. And he desires us to be in his presence. He wants us to love him, and he wants us to love our neighbor as ourselves. He has given us the Ten Commandments to show us what it is like. If you go outside of those commands, and then you do not love God, and then you do not love your neighbor. How can you love your neighbor? How can you love your wife or your husband if you use him or her for your own self gratification. Brothers and sisters, the problem created by sin is that we're all looking to be loved, to belong, to be accepted. And that is why we have such desires for each other. And that is why we need to belong to a loving community. A child needs to belong to his parent, also needs to feel to belong. And a single person longs to belong to another person. There is such a strong craving and desire within us for that. And God created that desire. But we have to have an understanding when those desires are not properly expressed or felt. We have to understand that sin has done some real harm. And we have to understand, therefore, that you can only find true contentment in those kinds of relationships where we try to keep the rules as much as we can that God has set. And for that reason, many times we have to deny ourselves certain things. We have to deny certain feelings. We have to learn discipline. You have to learn discipline, especially when it comes to the seventh commandment dealing with sex. You can do without sex. But you cannot do without love. And you especially cannot do without God's love. And you cannot do without the unperverted love of your brother and sister in the Lord. We all live out of grace, out of God's free gift of salvation. All we have to do is to believe and embrace it. 
Our relationship is not based on laws, but on the relationship out of which the law flows. The covenant relationship comes first. Everything else is subservient to that. It is all a matter of grace that God has made us part of the church community wherein we experience God's love, wherein we experience belonging. And all those who have a true desire to serve God, even though they have done some terrible things in the past, and even though they may have sexual feelings that are wrong, but which they fight against all the time, may and must belong to this church community. We are bound together by God's love. And we must be bound together also to him and one another by love. And therefore now we can have a little bit of a taste of heaven, of what it is going to be like in the life hereafter. We have something absolutely beautiful waiting for us, brothers and sisters. Wait for it. Wait for the Lord. Listen to him and keep the rules that he has set. Amen.